Take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. We have started that chapter last week. We will continue in it this week. And we will finish it in three weeks. So uh, we're going to have to leave Lazarus in the grave. I'm sorry. I tried to figure out a way to get him out of the grave before I have to take a couple of weeks off for some surgery, but I could not do it. So uh, we will leave him there for two weeks, and then Lord willing, in three weeks from today, we'll get Lazarus out of the grave. There's just too much in the passage that I want us to look at today to just fly through it at, just to get to a point. And so I want to I do that today, starting in verse 17. It's a fairly lengthy passage, so listen carefully and follow along as I read this this morning. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she had heard Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary stayed at home in the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give it to you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus asked Martha. She said to him, Lord, yes, Lord, I, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. And when she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in a place where Martha had met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews came, who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. And, and he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? This is the word of our Lord. This this chapter really has four scenes in it that are all very important and all very integral to what we're trying to see 
through John's eyes as he brings about the, the declaration of the final sign, the glorification of Christ, the glory of Christ, showing that he is the Messiah. We must remember in every instance in the Gospel of John, John is writing this Gospel with one purpose in mind and one purpose only, and that is that we may believe that he is the Son of God, that we may believe that he is the one who is to come into the world, that we may believe that he is the Savior of the world. That's the only reason John is writing. He's not trying to wow us with these miracles. He's not trying to dazzle us with these discourses and teachings of Jesus. He chooses everything carefully carefully under the authority of the Holy Spirit, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He chooses everything carefully so that you and I, reading this thing 2,000 years later, will say, yes, Jesus is the Son of God. Just like Martha acknowledged there in verse uh, 27. That's the whole purpose. But there are these four scenes. You, you start out, we looked at it last week, we get the news of Lazarus' death. That's the first scene. Jesus has gone away into somewhat hiding. He's stealthily gone away, John says, because people, they wanted to kill him. I had uh, Ricky read the passage today out of Mark's gospel that, that sort of coincides with the next chapter, chapter 12, where Martha and Mary are, are there with him, and, and Mary anoints him with oil and prepares or, or spices and perfumes and prepares him for his burial, and, and everybody gets all upset about it. But the word has come to Jesus that Lazarus is sick, and then that Lazarus has died. And, and in that first scene, that, that's what you really hear. You, you hear just talk about Lazarus' sickness and his death. That happens evidently rather quickly. I do find it interesting, this is just sort of an aside, that the name Lazarus, when we do baby dedications, we talk about baby name, me, uh, the meaning of their names, and, and the name Lazarus is out of the Hebrew, and it literally means the one whom God has helped. I, I like that. At this point, it doesn't look like God's done anything to help him. At this point, it looks like Lazarus got sick and he died, and that's the word that comes. But the reality is that Lazarus is going to see God help him. God is going to do a work in his life like no one has ever seen there in Bethany, and his name will live up to what it means. So the first scene is the news of Lazarus' death. The second scene is really in verses 7 through 16 that we looked at last week where the disciples are eagerly trying to dissuade Jesus from going back to Jerusalem. Jesus, don't you remember that just a couple of days ago they were wanting to kill you? They wanted to seize you? They were wanting to destroy you? If you go back there now, what is going to happen? You're going to die. And Thomas, finally, the only one at this time that seems to be the believing one, although he gets the, the rap of being the doubting one because of the later on after the crucifixion. But, but Thomas says, listen, let's get up and go with him that we may die with him also. But their intent is to dissuade him from going back anywhere near Jerusalem. We see that scene playing itself out. Then we see this today in verses 27 through 37, or excuse me, 17 through 37, where, where Jesus goes back and he meets Martha and he meets Mary and he has conversations with them. We're going to look at those conversations in depth in just a moment. But I want you to see that as the third scene of this chapter. And then the final scene, as we say, that we'll look at in, in, in a couple of weeks is when Jesus gives that seventh sign, that seventh mark of his Messiahship that John is building everything around. And that is the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Four distinct scenes, four with distinct messages. But four, very important to understand. Remember, 
The, the express statement back in verse 5 where it says, John makes a statement that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. There was a deep love there. And Jesus is basically saying to his disciples when he gets, does not go back immediately and then ultimately goes back, he says, because I love Mary, because I love Martha, because I love Lazarus with such a deep love, I'm not going back right now because I want to go back so that they might see the full expression of the glory of God. I'm going back at the right time so that they might see the Son of God, the Son of Man, glorified in all of his glory. And so Jesus has a purpose with all this waiting and and then going. It's not just haphazard. Don't miss that. Because Jesus wants them, loves them so much, he wants them to see the glory of God in their life. Do you recognize that that is Jesus' greatest desire for your life? It's not that you be healthy. It's not that you be happy. It's not that you be wealthy. It's not that everything always go according to the way you want it to go. But Jesus' greatest desire into your life is that you might see the glory of God manifested, that you might see the glory of Christ manifested in your life, through your life, over your life in every single respect. That's why you have sicknesses. That's why you have struggles. That's why you have pains. That's why you, that's why you grieve. It's not as a punishment. It's not so that you might say, oh, poor old me. It's not so that you can mope about. It's so that in the final analysis, you might see the glory of God in your life, that you might see him working in a magnificent and glorified way. And it will not always be. As a matter of fact, I dare say many times it won't be the way you think it ought to be. We are great counselors of God. Paul even dealt with that in Romans. He said, who who are we to counsel God? Who are we to tell God how he ought to do things? Do we have a a full understanding of the whole scope of history? No, but he does. And when we presume to try to counsel him or tell him how he ought to do it, we're acting very foolish in our everyday life. And, And we need to see that, folks. We need to see that out of this experience with Lazarus and Mary and Martha. We need to see this out of his death and out of their grief and out of their pain. That God uses that to glorify himself and to show his sufficiency in your life and trust him for it. It's amazing that most of our prayers never ask God to be glorified in it, in whatever we're praying about. Most of our prayers are, Lord, get me out of this. Lord, take this away. And that's really what Martha and Mary's prayers were also if you look very carefully at the text we're looking at this morning. I want you to see this. Because the, very, the thing that comes out more than anything else, I think, in looking at, at these three different conversations here, with Martha, with Mary, and then sort of a conversation with the mourners that are around them and, and li- li- living there or mourning there with them, th- there's a questioning of Jesus' love. It, it's been stated, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. It's been stated when they came and said, listen, the one whom you love is sick. You need to go back and check on him. His love has been established. His love has been declared just as it has in your life. You know, I, don't, I don't know what you think about when you think about the love of God and the love of Christ. Most of us probably immediately go to think about John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. I mean, that's a, a tremendous statement of God's love, no doubt. I kind of like to think myself, though, about John 17, when he said, this is eternal life, that you may know him 
for all of eternity. This is eternal life that you may know God. That's an expression of Christ's love. That's an expression of God's love. He, he doesn't just say, now you can believe in me as some far off, out of touch, non-acting God, but he doesn't. He says, here's my love to you. You can know God. You can know him intimately. You, you can know him in a personal sort of way. You can have a relationship with a living God through his son, Jesus Christ. This is eternal life that you may know him in the here and now and in the hereafter and for all eternity. I mean, that shows the love of Christ, doesn't it? But in this passage, Jesus' love is questioned. It's first questioned by Martha in verses 21, uh, 20 and 21. It says, Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at the house. And what did she say when she first got to him? Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. There's a questioning of his love there. Lord, if you'd have come when we sent for you, if you'd have hurried on back, if you had been in this place... Our brother would not have died. You must not have loved him as much as you say you do. You must, not have loved, you must not love him as much as we think you do. Jesus will answer that in just a moment. Then Martha goes back and Mary comes out to see him. And Mary comes and falls at his feet and, and says to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. See, they've seen all of these signs. They've seen all of these miracles. They know the power of, of God resides with Christ. They know that he is the anointed one. They know that he is the Messiah. They know that he is God incarnate. They know who he is. And, and, the, and yet they say, but, but you didn't come. Why didn't you come? And then there are the mourners. You've got to understand the, the Jewish process of mourning here. It, it was not just a few people gathered around and brought a casserole. They did bring food, usually. I guess this is our biblical basis for what we do after funerals now. We take food to the family during that time of grief. They did that. But the mourners who came out were, were much more than just sitting around. You know, People ask me all the time, what do you say to somebody who's going through grief? What do you say to somebody who's lost a loved one? What do you say to somebody that's really in pain? And you know, my answer most of the time is just don't say anything. Just be there. There's not a lot you can say. There's not a lot you can, you can say God, God cares and God loves you and all that's true and, and you need to say that, sure. But, but the reality is you, you can't answer the whys. I can't answer the whys. But mourners in Jesus' day, mourners in early Palestine, when they came, they came to be mourners. They were loud. They cried out. They screamed. They they. they they weeped and they wailed for the, for the one that had died and for the family. Sometimes even, I don't think Martha and Mary had to do this because they seemed to be fairly, if you will, popular in the area. They came out to them immediately. But sometimes that day, if a family didn't have a lot of relatives, didn't have a lot of friends, they would hire mourners to come because it was just not good etiquette not to have some people weeping and wailing and crying all over the place. So this is what's taking place at their home. And Mary is weeping, and Martha comes in and said, Jesus is here, and he's asking for you. And so she gets up quickly, and she runs out to where he is. And, and all those who are weeping and wailing along with her look at her, see her get up quickly and leave, and they say, something must be happening. Maybe she's going back to the tomb to, to cry there. So they all want to be there with her to cry, so they all get up and go with her in mass. And they go to where Jesus is. 
And she says the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then you have the mourners themselves. And, and they talk about after Jesus wept. It says he wept. And, and, and so the Jews, some of them said, boy, see how much he loved him. He, he's crying because he didn't come back. He's weeping because he, could, he couldn't be here to do something for Lazarus. That wasn't why he was weeping. We'll get to that in a minute. But they said, See how he loved him. But some of them were skeptical. And they said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? Even the mourners, along with Mary and Martha, began to to question Jesus' love. Well, it's interesting how he answered them. He answered each one of them just a little bit differently. With Martha who said, Lord, if you had been here, you, you know, he wouldn't have died. If you had been here, he would still be with us. He, he responded in a very unique way. He responded with a truth about himself. That's how he responded to Martha. He said in verses 25 and 26, he said to her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And then he adds, do you believe this? I love Spurgeon's sermon on this uh, passage. I went back and read it this week just sort of for my own edification. You can't preach Spurgeon. If you could, that's all I'd preach because he's that good, but you just can't do it. And, and, but I went back and read it for my own edification. And, and, and the title of the sermon that he did on these two verses was The Greatest Catechism Question. Do you believe this? Do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? But even deeper than that, what Jesus is saying to Martha is, understand this, Martha, I can meet your greatest need, he who lives will never die, and I can meet Lazarus' greatest need, he who dies believing in me will live. I, I am the answer for all of your concerns right now. You come to me doubting my love, but I want you to understand, every need that you have, whether Lazarus comes out of that grave or not in, in just a few minutes, whatever happens in the next bit, I want you to understand, Martha, that I am the need of your life. I am what you need. Believing that I am the resurrection of the life, is what you need. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe it when he says, I am the resurrection, the life? And he who dies, believing in me, will live again and will be living even now. And he who lives will never die. Now, we know that physical death is a reality. We know that physical death is something that happens to everybody if the Lord doesn't come again. But Jesus is talking about something far more important, far more significant, and far more permanent than physical life. He's talking about life that Jesus was talking about in John 17, 1 through 3. Eternal life is this, that you know the Father, that you know God, that you have a relationship with Him. Do you believe that? Jesus is asking Martha, and Jesus is asking you. You see, when a person dies believing, it's not the end, it's the beginning. You've heard that at every funeral you've ever been at. For a believer, it's not the end of life. It's not even, a, it's not even a, just a change in location. 
It's a change in every bit of quality that you can imagine. But the real key is, do you believe this? Martha was somewhat perplexed by that answer. She said, yes, I I believe you're the Christ. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you're the one that comes into the world. And and almost, you can almost read into that, although John doesn't put it, so I know this is not inspired text. This is Haynes' speculation, which is always dangerous. But it almost is like she said, yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Christ. I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that you're the one who comes into the world. But my brother is up there in a tomb with a stone rolled in front of it, and he is dead. I believe you're all of that, Lord, but if if you'd just come when we called for you. And then she left. She went away, called her sister. Her sister came out. And, And so Jesus, understand this, don't miss this. He answered Martha with a profound truth about himself. Second thing he does in Mary is he does something totally different. With Mary, he responds with a strong emotion from himself. You know, it's been said that John's gospel is the, John, is the gospel that points most clearly to the deity of Christ, and it does. Every one of these signs, every one of these discourses has pointed to his deity. No doubt about that. But I also want you to see that in John's gospel, he points strongly to the humanity of Christ. He is the God-man. He's not 50% God and 50% man. He's 100% God and 100% man, and, and he's, that's together in Christ. We, don't, we can't put all that together sometimes intellectually, but we know it to be true. And, and that's what he's saying here, it, that, that John is saying, I want you to understand that Jesus not only is the Messiah, he's not only the Son of God, he's not only deity, but he's also very human. And he does that by showing his emotion here. When Mary got out there, she said to him, Lord, if you had been here, you've heard that before, hadn't you? If you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came also with her also weeping, He was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. That's an interesting translation. Because that word in every other usage is translated really, he became angry. He became troubled in spirit. He became angry. He became upset. Now we know with him as a holy anger and a holy upset if if it was that. But he was troubled deeply within his spirit when he saw these two that he loved so dearly, whom he had shown his love to. And they're, they're, they're questioning that. They're saying, if you'd just been here, Lord, we really would have known you loved us. But, but you didn't come. It says he was troubled in spirit. He was moved in spirit. He was troubled. And he said to them, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then verse 35 says, Jesus wept. He cried with them. Now, I don't know how you see that. Some say, well, he cried because his friend was dead. But, and, and even though he was 
the Son of God, even though he knew that in just a few minutes he was going to shout into that tomb and Lazarus was going to come alive again. He knew he was going to live again, that he was still hurting because his, his friend was dead. Others say, no, he, was cry- he, was, he wept because there was this, there was this uh, disbelief. There was this questioning of his love. And it cut him to the core that these whom he had shown his love to before, whom he had been in their presence before, and they knew that he loved him. They even expressed that love when they sent word for him to come. They, they now questioned that love. They doubted that love. There was a doubt within them. And, and it grieved his heart that those whom he loved doubted his love. If that's the case, if that is the reason, then which I kind of tend to think it is to some degree, then don't you know that Christ weeps every day because we whom he loves, we who he gave his life for, we that he suffered for and he died for and he, he bore our sin on the cross all the time question. His love. Lord, if you'd really loved me, I wouldn't have had this happen in my life. Lord, if you really loved me, I wouldn't be sick right now. Lord, if you wouldn't really love me, you wouldn't have made me have to go through surgery. Lord, you can heal that. Yeah, but in 13 years, maybe you just don't love me enough. We doubt his love, just like Martha did, just like Mary did, just like the, the, the mourners did. And Jesus responded to Mary with emotion. He wept. You know that when the Bible was written, when the gospel was written, there was no chapter and verses. It was all a running, running narrative. It was all just paragraphed together, or really just one, not even really paragraph breaks were very clear. But in the 13th century, a guy named Stephen Langdon broke the Bible down in chapters. And he thought that was a good idea. And so he made the chapters to make it easier to find things, and the divisions were added. And, but, but Langdon didn't do anything about verses. Don't you know preachers in the early days, the early church had a hard time saying, now I want to talk to you about Lazarus' resurrection. You'll find that somewhere about halfway through the book. If they had a book. But in the 16th century, 300 years later, Robert Stephanus, Stephanus, excuse me, in 1551, decided to break it down. And, and he's made many, he made many mistakes in breaking it down. There are some places where a, a verse ends that ought to be tied in with the next verse or the one before. The verses weren't inspired. They were just done. As a matter of fact, it's an interesting story about uh, Stephanus when he, when he divided it up. The story is that he was on a trip from Paris to Lyons. And he made these divisions, so tradition has it, and this is my, the extent of my Latin, and I wouldn't know it if it weren't translated, inter equa tundum, which literally means, in effect, while taking a journey on horseback. The, the tradition is that he actually was, while he was riding along, he'd say, oh, I think that's a good place to break, I think that's a good place, while he's riding his horse, and Maybe he hit a bump and he slipped off and made some strange ones. But most, most New Testament scholars will say that for all the errors that he made, this one he got absolutely right. Those two words ought to be a verse unto themselves. 
Jesus wept. He responded to, Mar to Mary's question and his love with a, with a deep emotional response. So much so that some of the, some of the Jews said, look how, they, look how he loved him. And some said, yeah, but he didn't come back. He opened the eyes of that blind man, but he didn't keep Lazarus out of the grave. Now, I'll give you a little preview for three weeks from today, Lord willing. And, and that is the third action that Jesus will do against that third question of his love will be to do the miracle, do the sign of raising Lazarus from the dead. But today we're thinking about his claim, the truth about himself. I am the resurrection and the life. About the emotion that he wept, he hurt. He, it grieved him to see this doubt. It grieved him to see the people not understanding who said they believed in him. And he wept at that too. But remember this. The whole purpose of waiting... The whole purpose of coming when he did, the whole purpose of waiting until Lazarus was dead and in the grave for four days. And by the way, the day he died, they would have put him in the grave. They, don't, they didn't wait around like we do. He dies, he's buried. Then they extend into a day of three days, usually, or four days of mourning after that. Because they felt like for three days, the, body, the, the spirit kind of hung around. Kind of hovered around the body and... And, and it, honestly, within three days, they kind of felt like there was a chance the spirit might re-enter the body and he might live again. And that's why Jesus waited the fourth day, because all the tradition of the Pharisees, all the tradition of the Sadducees, who didn't believe in the resurrection anyway, was shot to pieces by waiting till the fourth day. Because Jesus had one thing in mind. He wanted to show them the glory of God. He wanted to show them the sufficiency of Christ. He wanted to show them that no matter how bad things look, no matter how difficult things are, no matter how rough life gets, that God loves you and cares for you, and that Jesus loves you and has your best and His glory at, in mind at all times. So I want you to think with me just a minute. What is it that's going on in your life right now that's not pleasant? That quite honestly, you'd just as soon God would just take it away. That would be the easiest thing. But the thing that God wants to use to show you His glory. The thing that Christ wants to use to show you His sufficiency. The, the thing that, that He wants to take and say, listen... It may get even worse before it gets better, but I want you to see that I am sufficient for your every need. What is it you'd just really like to say, God, take it away? And he says, no, but I will. I will come nearer. I will show you my glory. I will show you my love. I will show you my sufficiency. Even as Paul, when he prayed for that thorn in the flesh to be removed, and, and he prayed three times, Lord, take it away, take it away, take it away. And that, that sort of means he prayed over and over and over. 
God said, no. No, that thorn will remind you that you don't need wholeness of yourself. You need me. I'm not going to take the thorn away because that thorn will always remind you, Paul, that I am the source of your strength. And when you are weak, I am strong. And so when you are weak, you can be strong because you learn to totally and completely depend upon me. What is in your life? What is it in your life today that Jesus is saying, no, no need to take it away, but a great need for me to be glorified in your life because of it. See, Jesus could have healed Lazarus from his sickness without ever going back to Bethany. Jesus could have treated just like the nobleman's son and said, hey, go back and tell Martha and Mary He's well, everything's fine, don't worry about it. And Lazarus could have got up and celebrated with all of them. Or he could have come back early and he could have gone and laid his hands on him and said, Lazarus, get up, you're healed, and walk. He could have done that, but he chose not to. Because he, more than anything else, wanted them to see the glory of God. And they will. Oh, they will. In an unbelievable manner. Now, if I could, I'd put some across here to be continued. Let's pray.